You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. everybody welcome back to another edition of the tell it abs it is podcast on the hockey podcast network i am your host griffin youngs and do you remember last episode when i said man when's all the stuff gonna happen this offseason things are kind of dead right now when's all the things gonna happen well they're happening and they're happening by the bunches ever since I hit stop record on that last episode. It has been a nonstop torrent of news, and we have a jam-packed episode today that I have no idea how long it's going to be. But before we get into any of that, first a word from our sponsor, DraftKings. You've heard us talk about DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports, and how payday can come every day by entering their contests with huge cash prizes up for grabs. Making a lineup on DraftKings adds excitement to every single game and is simple to do with plenty of options to choose from to get you in on the action from classic 10-player lineups to showdown matchups for single games and tiers lineups to get you in the action even easier. Draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before because every moment means more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to users across all sports, and they are the leader in daily fantasy sports, so there is no better place to get in on all of the action. Now that you know how to play, download the DraftKings app and sign up using code THPN. New users will get a free entry with their first deposit. That's code THPN to get a free entry with your first deposit only at DraftKings. So how is everybody doing? I hope you have all been well as the offseason officially, officially gets underway after these last couple days because, oh boy, did my last episode age quite poorly. By the time that episode was up, there was about 500 things happening at the same time. You wake up, the Senators have hired Pierre Maguire. The Edmonton Oilers make the hilarious Duncan Keith trade. Pekka Rene retires. Montreal extends Dom Ducharme as their head coach for the next three years. The one that stopped me dead in my tracks, the Minnesota Wild buy out Ryan Suter and Zach Parisi at the same time time and that was all in the span of about 36 hours and there's so there's so much stuff that like I can't I can't I don't have the time to even bring up like I was planning coming into this show to rip the Oilers for the horrendous Duncan Keith trade and just as events have transpired I'm straight up not going to have time because some avalanche news has begun to surface and it's not necessarily 
the positivity that we were hoping for, and it has to do with Gabe Landeskog's upcoming contract. And a report surfaced from Darren Dreger yesterday saying that the Avalanche and Landeskog are nowhere close on an extension, and time is ticking before Landeskog hits the open market. And today, Peter Bau wrote an outstanding article on The Athletic saying that Landeskog is still hopeful he and the team can agree on a new deal, but he is disappointed with how contract talks have gone so far. The exact quote from Peter's article in The Athletic states, I can't help but be honest with you that I'm a little disappointed that it's gotten this far and it's come to this point. We'll see what happens. I'm still hopeful that we can agree on something and come to terms, but if it was up to me, I would have liked it to be done eight months ago, ten months ago. I don't know about you, but I'd say my confidence level on Landeskog coming back to the abs went from about 95% to 75%, which I'm still reasonably confident he's going to be back. But the uh, I said once I start seeing reports otherwise, I'll get a little nervous. Um, I'm a little nervous now because if Landeskog is asking for the sun and the moon, we just can't give that to him. It's, it's unreasonable to ask. Like, guys, we had a little bit of Landeskog speculation on the last episode talking about the only way I can see this falling apart is if Landeskog is asking for absurd amounts of money, like north of $8 million for the full term, and it's just purely for his benefit and no one else's. Like, if he's looking at what Miko Rantanen got and making that as a comparable, this is just not going to work. But we can get into more of the, the Landeskog talk in a lot more detail in a little bit. I just want to get my head wrapped around everything before we jump fully into today's episode. Because even as I'm like hitting record and trying to do stuff, it seems like more news is surfacing all the time. It's just, like as I'm talking right now, it's reported that Shea Weber might be missing the entirety of next season and his career could be in danger with a lingering foot and ankle problem. Penguins have made two signings and there's even a bit more avalanche speculation that Kale McCarr has been made the top priority constant dialogue between the Avs and their agents, and no signs that a roadblock has been hit. This comes from Evan Rowell, uh, which he's getting this from Pierre Lebrun of TSN. Also reported that Grubauer doesn't want to leave Colorado. The Avs are trying to get him under $6 million, and Landeskog wants to get paid. So yeah, last episode ended up aging quite poorly. This is going to be a very packed episode. I also had a great conversation with the guys at the Soda Pod podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network covering the Minnesota Wild, where we talked about the Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter buyouts, what their plans are with the expansion draft, and just what has been going on with the Wild, who are, in my opinion, the most fascinating team this offseason. So we'll have that conversation with them. We'll talk more about Landeskog and 
just this situation that we're going to have to keep a very, very close eye on for the next two weeks because time is ticking and about whether or not Ryan Suter will be a fit with the Avalanche at all. But probably the, we'll get to the easiest bit of news right now first. That is, Eric Johnson has officially waived his no-movement clause, and he will be left unprotected by the Avalanche. So, spoiler alerts for when the Avalanche release their expansion list, or who they're protecting. The defense will be Kale McCarr, Sam Gerrard, Devon Tays. There was a 99.9% chance of that to begin with. The only hang-up was Eric Johnson waving his no-movement clause. He has officially done that, and now there are officially no problems with that, like we all expected. But first, let's get into my conversation with Isha Jerome and the state of Hoppy at the SodaPod podcast, talking about what on earth is going on in Minnesota, what's going on with expansion, what the hell just happened with Ryan Suter and Zach Parisi, and what's going on with Kirill Kaprizov? Because like I said, Minnesota has gone from a team that is they, they exist and they're there, but everyone forgets about them, to the team that has now turned into, in my opinion, the most fascinating team to watch this offseason. They could be a real threat next year, or things could completely fall apart. So, Let's get into that conversation with them. When that wraps up, we will get into all the Landis Gog talks and everything that's speculated to be going on with the Avalanche. If you would like to skip forward to that part, I would recommend skipping ahead about 25 minutes or so. All right, I am joined by the guys at the wonderful The Soda Pod podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network, Isha Jerome and the State of Hoppy. Fellas, how you guys doing? I bet you're pretty reeling right now from everything that's been happening with the, the Minnesota Wild over the last 48 hours. Yeah, man. There's it, It's been a busy week, and it's great. A lot of content to cover, a lot of content to create, and just want to note for your listeners, that is, in fact, his real name, State of Hoppy. Yeah, apparently. He's decided. Um, man, it's crazy. Like This is the craziest things have been since parisian suitors signed right like that's the last time anything really important happened with this team yeah i mean i was just i was really just thinking about that just a little while ago like when is the last time the minnesota wild have been truly genuinely exciting like <laughs> as a, as an outsider i root for minnesota just because like I, I love that fan base and everything i've been waiting for something like this where they can be that center of attention and prove that they're really the the state of hockey. And it's great to see that they're finally getting their due, but it did come at the expense of two of the, the faces of the franchise for really the last eight years in Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter, they get bought out. What was your guys's reaction to that? As that came down, I, I was stunned. I stopped dead in my tracks. I can't even imagine what it was like for you guys seeing that for the first time. I think everybody was stunned. Everybody was really surprised. And the most surprising thing was that Suter was also bought out. Look, if we would have heard news that Zach Parise would have been bought out, sure, eyebrow raising, but we could have quickly, you know, thought about it, reflected, and been like, okay, this is actually a pretty good move. There are some savings in the next few years, and this team can move forward. Ryan Suter is more than a serviceable defender. And I, you know, Billy Garner was quoted saying that, you know, we're flipping the page, um, we're changing things up on the roster. And part of that is 
saying goodbye to Ryan Suter as well. And uh, it was reported by Russo uh, for those who <laughs> subscribed to The Athletic. The Ryan Suter was not very happy about it. Uh, Parise was a better sport and more understanding. Well, I had to triple, quadruple, quintuple check that it was a real Michael Russo account when I saw it. Like, I actually did not believe it and thought it was a fake post. Russo slacks. <laughs> Man, and I, I went through a lot of phases with this. I at first was pretty pissed off because it just didn't make sense. You think about the year three and four cap hits. You think about, again, Suter's still a very serviceable defenseman, but there's a lot of pluses that go with this too. Like I've come around to the point where like, I'm not sitting here celebrating the buyout, but I'm not mad. And I I'm kind of at a point of understanding where Karen's coming from with some of this. Yeah, exactly. Like I could see where this was coming from, but it's, it's like Isha says, like Suter as well caught caught me completely off guard because you guys said the amount of dead cap that comes from these two being together it frees up plenty this year but we're looking at potentially around 14 million of dead cap for consecutive years down the line and i'm sure there like you said a lot of mixed emotions that come with this i think at the forefront is bringing in this new era of minnesota wild with kaprizov and fiala and Joel Erickson, does it feel bittersweet at all seeing such a, a long era of the Minnesota Wild that was supposed to have so much success just come to such an abrupt end? Well, I'll let Hoppy comment on that one because I've only been realistically covering the Wild closely for the last two, three seasons. You know, it's a funny thing. It probably a couple of years ago is more when it came to the halt when you realize, okay, new GM, retooling, figuring things out. Like we're clearly past the window of when we thought that the whole Parisi suitor contention might happen. And you know, we've talked about this, like largely that's, that's a bummer that they ran into Chicago a lot through that span. And it was the years that they were winning cups, but at the end of the day, it's not what anyone expected. But now that we've reached this point, it's almost like a sigh of relief where we can just move on and kind of pursue this new wave of Minnesota wild. And it's funny how, because uh, Zach Parise commenting on just his own career and experience said something very, very similar. Uh, when he had, when he was talking to Billy Guerin. Yeah. And it's just, it seemed overdue as, I mean, and there's a reason those contracts are illegal. Now you can't just sign players to, to 13 year deal, any yeah, deals. Thanks, anymore. Mike Gillis. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. For that reason that it comes to, to endings like this. And if it didn't, and they retired, there was the whole cap recapture penalty. Which, and that whole... That's the biggest load of crap. Like there, yeah. there's plenty of fans that say, poor me, like the league tries to screw me. No, they retroactively applied that rule after the contracts were signed. And I don't think anyone's signing that kind of a contract if you know that there's that looming repercussion that could come down the road on a 13-year contract. Right, it's exactly. It's insane, man. Like, you look at the Vancouver Canucks, they're still paying Roberto Luongo, I think, for one more year, <laughs> $3 million. Or they've, they're not paying him directly, but $3 million is deducted from their cap, which is insane. Yeah, I, th I think it's one of the worst things the NHL has has ever done. I mean, and the thing that didn't make sense, Luongo retired as a member of the Panthers. And if, if Shea Weber were to retire, I don't even remember what the recapture would have been for Nashville. Nashville would fold. <laughs> they would, I, I, from what I remember, this was like almost a year ago, but like, wasn't it almost like 20 million in dead cap for them or something? Something like, crazy. Now. It something would like have that. <laughs> been, yeah, it would have just been like they wouldn't be able to ice a team. They'd have to take a year off. But speaking of this, this next era of the Minnesota Wild, like we talked about with this dead cap, this coming year is not one of those years. This buyout frees up 
a ton of space for the wild over about 10 million, if I remember correctly, and takes their, their upcoming salary cap to about 26 million. Is this going to be about as close to an all in year for the wild as they can get with what, how their core is shaped right now? Not even close. They literally <laughs> need that money to sign Kaprizov and maybe Fiala. So not even close. It's literally, I don't want to say it's a desperation move, but it was a necessity. So yeah, they're, the, they're not pushing to anything anytime soon. And for me, the bigger thing here is this gives them so much breathing room and space to make the right moves. Like you look at just the, the talks about trading Dumba. Now, whether or not that happens now that suitor has gone is certainly up for discussion, but when you consider now, like, okay, teams aren't eyeing the wild and seeing, oh, they got to move this guy because he's going away in expansion, right? And you have time because, you know, Dougie Hamilton, Seth Jones, these are big offensive right-handed defensemen that are way higher in the pecking order than a Matt Dumba. And you know that there were teams reaching out to Seattle saying, so when you get Dumba, what do you want for him? So now Garen can do whatever the hell he wants with that. Now we've got the flexibility to wait and see what happens with the expansion draft with the NHL entry draft and make the right moves. Then now there's a lot of talk about Eichel. I don't know what may or may not come from it because if Buffalo doesn't come down, it's not worth pursuing. But again, we don't have to make a panic reactionary move right now. We can wait and see if they come back down to earth at all and are willing to make a real deal. Yeah, it, de- it definitely frees up a lot of opportunities, to say the least, for the Wild after they take care of business with Kaprizov and Fiala, which will be its own fiasco if, in its if, own right. If they if. take care of business. <laughs> if, if they take care of business. I'm still convinced Kirill Kaprizov is you know part of the KGB and he ain't coming back. There's just I, that, I don't understand that argument, though, Isha. If he's with the K- KGB, he got nothing done while he was here. He's been in Minnesota and on the West Coast. He hasn't just, played one game in D.C. He got there, there's he no for. benefit. He got what he came for. The, the, the D.C., they've got their, their OVs and their koozies over there. They're just spreading it around a little bit. <laughs> but you brought, you brought, I'm glad you brought up uh, Seattle because the Suter buyout uh, leaves Minnesota space to protect Matt Dumba in the expansion draft, which was, for me at least, my easy choice for Seattle to take in the expansion draft. What's your guys' take on the upcoming expansion draft for the Minnesota Wild now that they have more flexibility? What's your protected list, I might add, and who do you think ultimately gets taken? Yeah, take, take this uh, take this one, Hoppy. I don't think it matters what their protected list is. I think whichever goal is exposed is getting taken. I go. completely agree with that. I think that's a very easy choice for... I don't Seattle. know which goal is getting exposed, though. I That's the thing as well. I... I personally I mean, you can tell me how right or wrong I am on this. I would protect Kapil Kakinen as the, the younger goalie and Cam Talbot's always been kind of an up and down kind of goaltender. You never know what you're going to get out of him, but I, I think you're right. I think whoever does end up getting exposed at goaltender is going to end up getting taken there. And I mean, that, that just really sucks for the wild too, because what brought them success this year, you know, obviously with the caveat of them being in a, easier division where they could just prey on the California teams for points losing one of those goaltenders is really going to hurt because Kalkin and he's not there as the one a yet and Talbot just fit this system perfectly it was the reason why Billy Guerin and the Minnesota wild signed him is because he he has success around defensive systems that the wild play so he fit right in and it, and it showed and we talked about that earlier 
early, early in the season, um, right after the preseason, Hoppy and I on the soda pod that we said, like, if all this is true, because Billy Garen was talking about that at the time of, uh, when he signed him, then Cam Talbot will be great for this team. And it just, it worked, it couldn't have worked out, you know, any better. Sure. Maybe they could have beaten Vegas in the first round of the playoffs, but as far as the season went, Cam Talbot was amazing. Kakanen, he was the one who was actually a little up and down and I, and I don't blame him. It was his first year as a solidified backup in the national hockey league after dominating the AHL where the shots are slower, they're not as hard and the plays are not as skillful as the national hockey league. Yeah. And I would say that obviously the only ones that know this are within the organization, but can Kakanen carry the load, right? Like I, I think he can play 50, 50. If you're asking him to do any more than that, or if you're asking him to be the number one guy after again, a minimal contribution this year in a shortened season that's just a big ask for a young goalie hoppy it's a recipe for a textbook minnesota first round exit <laughs> yeah if they make it that far they got to play in a real division this year but that's true I, the, the tough thing for me because i i agree it's hard to let go of the young asset with all the upside that might be there you, i don't expect cam talbot to do what he did this year but i also don't expect him to go back to the days of playing in canada I just, it's hard to replace a goalie with what he's done here, who's comfortable now for under 4 million. Right. I think that's a very good point, which, which brings me to my next question. Is there any deal that you think can be struck here in order to protect one of these guys? Or do you just think Seattle is just going to be dead set on taking whoever is exposed? Because Minnesota has a lot of assets when you look at them. They've got two first-round picks. They got the other first-round pick from the Penguins in the Zucker trade. They have all their upcoming picks. They have all of their prospects coming up, like a Matt Boldy, like a Marco Rossi, which I don't, which I'm not saying would be, <laughs> not saying would be included in a protection deal, but Click. just yeah, just. I, I Griffin, I thought you were going to say that the Minnesota Wild are used to this uh, because they did it last time in the expansion. <laughs> That's what I was waiting for. It worked yeah. out so well for them. Uh, honestly, to answer your question, I think that they'd have to give up too much that it wouldn't be worth it. Like whether they have to overpay mm -hmm. for them to pick a Victor Rask or, or, or somebody else. But that's the key is who are they taking, right? If you're paying right. them to take Susie instead of one of the goalies, a lot more stomachable. You're probably giving up like a mid round pick, maybe a second at worst. Fair, but without um, Suter now, you kind of need Susie. Yeah. Again, what do you need more? That's true. To the end of the day, you can look at all of these, kind of like we talked before, right? If we were going to trade Dumba to avoid losing him in expansion, it's not about getting something in return. It's, is that something going to be more valuable than what we're going to then lose because exactly. he's gone? We got to have that same conversation here with, yeah, it's hard to lose Susie might be harder to lose a goalie, but I'm not giving up a big asset to do it. And Rask, like it'd be nice to be rid of that wonderful, wonderful asset if Seattle's listening. But he like he's got one more year left at four million. We can stomach it for this year of all years, right? You've already highlighted that Griffin. We can get through this year with his four mil of dead weight. And I'm not gonna overpay to lose that for one year. Now if you had term, I'd probably be throwing a first to get rid of him. Yeah, I mean, Minnesota, it's like we were saying, like they are such a, a fascinating team to watch this offseason. And for one of the reasons is that they have been connected to the biggest name of the offseason, and that's Jack Eichel. I am of the opinion that of all the teams rumored in the Jack Eichel sweepstakes is that Minnesota is the best fit for him. If you can just even picture uh, 
uh, Kaprizov and Eichel one, two on that top line as, as an avalanche fan, I would not be looking forward to playing that six times a year. I think that would be not fun to deal with every single night. What do you guys make of the, the Jack Eichel rumors with Minnesota? Do you even think it's a possibility? Is it something you even want or is it even worth it? All of the above, yes, from the soda pod. And it's funny because we're kind of the... We're the outsiders. We're the outsiders. A lot of wild Twitter does not want anything to do with Jack Eichel because of all the quote-unquote personal issues that come with him. And then I roll my eyes. Okay. Um, I think it would be outstanding, and I'm very excited that the wild are reportedly the front runners for Jack Eichel. They now have the cap space for it, and they have... They have assets to make that trade. I'm, I'm getting a little bit they more. They have the sick cap to, space this year. Yes, I'm getting a little bit more sick to my stomach every day, thinking that Fiala is going to be in that trade if it happens. Because I love Kevin Fiala. I think he's one, an unbelievable National Hockey League player, and I love what he brings to the Wild. Um, but yeah, overall, super excited uh, for me. I know Hoppy. He's followed Jack Eichel for for a long, long time. You know, you guys being the Americans. I think he's incredible. Um, I think the real challenge here is, again, it's going to take some real salary cap gymnastics to pull that off in future years, which, guess what? If Karen's going to pull the trigger on this, it's because he has a plan to do so. And my thing here is, like, if there's no neck injury, I'll give them anything they want, right? But that neck injury, that's something that should be giving you some kind of discount. You're still giving up real assets, but... If you're giving up more than one of Fiala, Rossi, or Boldy in a package, I don't want it right now. I think you can do better. I think that you like if you hold out longer, no one's going to give Buffalo that kind of a deal. But if you pick one of those three and throw in some futures, whether it's this year's first round picks or throw in different prospects, I'm all in for taking that gamble. Now, the one twist, I guess, if we're throwing in two of those three names that I talked about, right. Do you pay attention or give credence to Adisha if there's cap retention? hundred percent. And I say that because some of these young players that they may have to give up in that deal, they're going to be some of the players that if they pop in two years, they're going to have to get paid anyways. And will the wild be able to pay them? In, in my opinion, how I see this plan, you know, at this, at this stage right now with the information we have and with the moves that have been uh, that have been made. If Jack Eichel comes in, whether there's some cap retention or not, and if Fiala has to go and maybe a boldy too, well, the pressure's on Judd Brackett and those uh, in the drafting and development uh, sector of the Minnesota Wild because Billy Garen and the team are kind of banking on them to have some of these entry level contracts, these really good players, um, whether they're deep in the draft or you know late in the first round, assuming the Wild are somewhat competitive in the next couple of years. That they, that they pop and can play because the Wild will not have any money to pay any other depth players at that point. You, you need to bring in uh, entry-level contracts. Yeah, and luck, luckily Minnesota has done really well with drafting, especially last year. They seem to hit on... One year. They've had one year. How many years has Judd Brackett been here, Isha? How many years did it take Kaprizov to get over here? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, no more drafting Russians. That's fair. <laughs> They finally hit on one and everything seems to be turning around a bit after that. But on the topic of Kirill Kaprizov, there has been a little bit of drama surrounding him as of late. There were rumors of him going back to Russia, which seemed to be commonplace for every Russian free agent every single time they need new contracts. But 
even in the last couple of days, like we mentioned a little bit earlier, there's been a little bit of rumors circulating that Kaprizov turned down an eight-year deal worth about $9 million a year, if I'm remembering correctly. I, what's going on here? Could you guys explain this to people who aren't Wild fans? And what do, you, what do you think is going to be the resolution here? What do you think a contract for Kaprizov even looks like since he doesn't really have any comparables? I don't know what the resolution is, but his camp and him reportedly want a three or four year deal max at nine to $10 million. And the wild just can't do that. That's not happening. So he can go back to Russia. I don't care. Or he can be traded Um, for Jack Eichel. But yeah, I I think the answer here, depending on where the, the AAV lands, it's somewhere between two to four years. And if it's two, he's not getting shit for money, Yeah, but Kaprizov rightfully so like first just look at what's happened this past week and how much question there is around what this team might look like add in the fact that this guy 24 like that's not a young guy right in comparison to when some other players are getting this deal he needs to have something set up where he's getting another shot at a big contract before he's 30. So if we can follow those parameters, give them enough to make them happy, and then take this time to show them that we're building a contender, I'm not super worried about getting him re-signed next come around. It's going to be big bucks, but hey, guess what? That If we make it four years, it happens to be right after we lose those big anchors of deadweight contracts. So I, I don't know. I think that if he's going anything under four, it shouldn't touch $8 million. No, it, de- it definitely should. I mean, at that point, you're just getting no value out of that deal. If you're doing a bridge deal, you got to be saving at least a little bit on the cap, especially now right. with all the dead cap coming from Suter and Parisi. Like s- something's got to give here. I mean, what? I don't know how much validity there is to the, the eight times nine reports. I didn't really see who reported that first, but that's that's a tough contract to turn down. That's a lot of security and a lot of money. You're you're pretty secure if you're signing that contract and he's going to be making one hell of a bet on himself cuz you just never know. I mean, you might get one season in the NHL, yeah. man. Like yeah. I mean, like no no disrespect for the, you know those type of players who fizzled out after, you know, one or two years of success. But you look at like Jonathan Chichu. I mean, jo- Jumbo Joe Thornton was still feeding in the puck and he just somehow fizzled out and couldn't put the puck in the back of the net. So you never know. Yeah. I mean, you, you really just never know. You might get a knee injury and never skate the same again. It's just, even at such a young age, it might seem like a, a foolproof idea to bet on yourself and get as much money as you can. But when they're, when Minnesota is offering you that much money, which is already arguably a lot for one year, or even half a season, really, when you think about it of production, that's that's a tough contract to turn down. Yeah, well, well, we're excited and both a little nervous to see uh, how it plays out. I can't I can't imagine why you guys would be nervous. Is there anything exciting happening in Minnesota right now with this team? I mean, there's so much going on, and who knows? By this time next week, the Minnesota Wild might look completely different. Between they could have a Jack Eichel, they might lose one of their goalies in expansion. This is just going to be. They're, they're definitely going to be the team I'm watching the most this upcoming offseason, which is probably the first time I've said that probably in my entire life. Anyone has ever said that. <laughs> but guys, thank you so much for coming on and spending some time with us today just to get us all 
caught up on Minnesota because while the divisions are changing, we're still going to be seeing each other a lot over the next season. I'd say realistically, Minnesota and Colorado way things are looking right now might still be going head to head in that central division for one and two for the next little while. I mean, we've got a whole off season to see what can happen, but I imagine things aren't going to be very friendly come October this season between our teams. Nathan McKinnon, Jack Eichel, head to head, baby. Let's go. Oh man. Oh man. That just, that's son. That just sounds like a blast five times a year. I would take that every single time. So guys, thanks so much for coming on. I know you guys have to run, but thanks for spending some time on the show and we'll see you guys soon. See how the wild look by October. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. And that was my talk with the guys at the Soda Pod podcast, Isha Jerome and the state of Hoppy. Definitely an interesting talk. Minnesota is going to be very interesting to watch over the course of this summer before puck drops on next season. One thing I didn't bring up with them that I'll bring up now is what would they think about Ryan Suter potentially in an Avalanche jersey? Because I like that fit. I like that fit fit a lot especially if the expansion draft goes the way I expect it to and Ryan Graves is a member of the Seattle Kraken next season Ryan Suter is not young we know that he is certainly not the player he used to be but he is still very good I mean like like they were saying they were shocked that he was bought out here because he is still good even at 36 years old, his analytics still point to him being a very productive offensive play driver. They suggest that he's been carried a little bit defensively by the likes of Jared Spurgeon and Jonas Brodeen, which is fine. I mean, he's 36 years old, not expecting him to be like a Norris contender or anything, but I think there is a very good fit there between Suter and the Avalanche. It might be weird to see Suter in an Avalanche jersey, but I think there is a good fit here, especially if Graves ends up going to Seattle. If he does, that opens up about 3.16 million in cap space and leave a hole on our left side defense, which we can fill without getting Suter. I mean, we're going to have Bo Byram coming up next season. We'll see what happens with Eric Johnson as well. But it's certainly an interesting thing to think about. Suter, could, he could probably jump right into that slot where Graves used to play almost seamlessly and most likely for less, I would certainly hope, for less money. And he can go up and down between the second and third pairing. I mean, it, that would all depend on... Bo Byram and how healthy Eric Johnson is, obviously. And the thing about Suter is that he plays in all situations for Minnesota. And Minnesota obviously has a very good defense with the likes of Spurgeon and Brodeen and Dumba and Carson Soucy. Like, Suter was probably their fourth best guy, and he was still playing tons of minutes on the power play and the penalty kill and playing plenty of minutes at even strength and... If you're, if you're one of those people who believes that the Avalanche need a, a veteran presence on the back end to maybe factor into some of their more inexperienced guys and just help with that 
growing process for maybe a guy like Sam Gerrard, Suter can be that guy as well. He's played almost 1,200 games in the NHL, and I think he still has some good years left in him. If you sign him to a one-year deal, I'd even be willing to do $2 million for him. And even even a two-year deal, if it's cheap, I don't think that's a bad idea. I I like Suter a lot, and there are going to be a lot of teams that are after him in free agency, which to me makes it all the more baffling why Minnesota decided to buy him out. Because if you're an NHL team and you want just a, a good defenseman, a good fringe top four defenseman for not a crap ton of money... Ryan Suter is probably your guy. I mean, he's he's good. I can't think of a team that's contending for a cup right now that is just going to look at him and be like, eh, don't really need him. I think there's probably every single team is going to do their due diligence on him. I could see Vegas signing him with Alec Martinez departing. Pittsburgh could be an option for him as well. Washington, uh, Washington needs to get younger, but he would fit the kind of players that they have signed over the last few years. The hilarious thing to me is Edmonton is an absolutely perfect fit for him, but they just traded for Duncan Keith. If they just waited a day, if they just waited one day, they would have had a better alternative to Duncan Keith for less money and no assets. They would have had to sign him in free agency, but that to me is absolutely hilarious. There's also a team like the Flyers that could get him. Dallas also could be an option for them, especially if Alexiak departs. Like the rain, like I could probably run down the list of every single team in the league and make at least somewhat of an argument that they should sign him. But the thing with Suter is that he has made upwards of a hundred million dollars in his career, and he's going to be getting paid for a long time with this buyout no, even if no team signs him and he doesn't make another cent in his career he is going to be making a lot of money over the course of this buyout for him i mean the thing with his incredibly illegal long contract is that it was completely front loaded the first 3 years of that contract he made what is that 35 million dollars in just the first three years, and then the one, two, three, four, five years after that was all $9 million, and then this past season, he made $8 million. Next season, it dives to six, and the final three years of that deal were $2 million, $1 million, and $1 million. So he already got paid a significant chunk of that deal. If I'm doing the math right, he only had $10 million left on that contract. So he got paid eighty-eight. million million dollars of that contract. And he's still going to be getting paid a bit for, I believe it's going to be about $6 million. So he's going to still be getting a sizable amount of money from that buyout. So I doubt he's going to be looking for like a super market value deal. If he wants to come play for a contender that has a spot for him, Colorado's a very solid option for him. If his priority is chasing a Stanley Cup, there are few teams that have as good of a chance as the Avalanche to win next year's Stanley Cup. I mean, if he's going to create a bidding war and try to make as much money as he can on this deal, 
we're going to get outbid for him. Like we, we, we're just not that kind of team right now that needs to be trying to chase down Ryan Suter. But if he's willing to come here for probably under $2 million on a one-year deal, I think that would make a lot of sense for both sides to pursue. I mean, and you can make the same argument about Vegas as well. They're going to be up against the cap, but I suspect they're going to do their due diligence on him as well in order to see if they can get him on board. I just think the Avalanche, they, sh- they should be big players in on him. They shouldn't go over the top, but if it's a possibility, I think they should pursue him. I would not be surprised to see Ryan Suter in an Avalanche jersey next season. But enough mixing the, the Minnesota and Colorado talk. We got to talk about Gabe Landeskog and everything that has been speculated about both him McCarr and Grubauer over the last 24 hours or so. Like we discussed earlier, Landskog is disappointed with how contract talks have gone so far, and this is going to be something to watch over the next little while. You know, and I think I'm a bit on Landeskog's side with this, especially with his comments about that he's disappointed that it's taken this long, and he would have rather this have been done eight to ten months ago. Like, because he's right, we shouldn't really be here at this point, especially with a player like Landeskog, who has been through every up and down with this organization. He was named captain at 19 years old. Like, I can understand that maybe he's feeling like it's a bit of a slight that they just they kicked the can down the road with him and didn't try to get him locked up before last year. But at the same time, if he's if he's trying to maximize every single dollar that he gets out of this contract and also get big term, like I just I don't know what to tell you, man. Like that's just not gonna happen. We can't do that. We can't give you an eight times eight. Like the episode where we talked about what could happen with Landeskog, I was com- I'm comfortable giving him eight years. I really have no hang-ups about giving Landeskog an eight-year deal. Yeah, you know what? It's probably going to be a problem in the later stages of that contract. The final three years of that contract are probably going to stink. But what's better? Having Landeskog locked up, you don't have to worry about it anymore after this season, and in his prime for at least the next few years while you're in your Stanley Cup window or losing your heart and soul captain for nothing because you wouldn't give him an extra two or three years on his deal. Like, do they want to give him four years or something? Like, the the wording to me from Peter's article stood out to me as term is the problem rather than dollar amount. I'm sure actual dollar amount is a problem too, but it seems like term has become a bit of a sticking point as well here. I really don't think it should be that big of a thing for term. Like if you're if your captain wants 8 years, yeah, you know, you maybe you try to get 6. But if, if it's going to be that much of a sticking point, I would probably just capitulate at that point and just sign it. I also think at the same time that this is a bit of a tactic by Landeskog's camp to get 
a bit more their way in this negotiation. It also came from Darren Dreger the day before Landeskog spoke that he had a, a league source that said they were nowhere close. Dreger is a known shit stirrer, as we know from the Marner contract negotiations. He has he has a lot of insights with agents around the league, and he always seems to tweet out stuff that favor agents and their players during key contract negotiations. So this all seems to be coming out at a very convenient time. And then within 24 hours, Landeskog is talking to the media about how he's disappointed. I think this is a tactic to get more money or more term by putting public pressure onto Joe Sackick and the Avalanche organization. Because who knows, maybe they are just extraordinarily far apart. But it's a it's a little worrying to say the least. But if this is if the hanging point here is term, like he wants eight years, we'll only give him four, and he wants nothing less than eight years. I think I can deal with. I think I can deal with that, as we've seen just in the last forty eight hours. You can get out of those contracts. I mean, who would have thought that Chicago? would have gotten anything for Duncan Keith in their last deal where Edmonton actually gave them assets and Chicago did not retain a dime. That is a whole other rant that I'm not going to get into right now, but that is an absolute steal for the Chicago Blackhawks that they got rid of the full salary of Duncan Keith at 38 eight years old with two more years left on that deal. There are ways, and also Keith signed a 13-year contract back in, I believe, 2010. There are ways that you can get out from under those contracts. You you never know who's going to be employed at that point. You never know who would be desperate for a leader like Landeskog at no matter what the cost. It is possible. You know, you I don't think it's a smart idea to try to overplan for 6 to 8 years down the line when you're trying to win. And I also don't think it's a good idea to nickel and dime your captain because of it because even if this does get worked out but it it ends up getting vicious it's going to have an impact whether we see it or not. It's going to tr- potentially drive a stake between Landis Gog and the organization. Like, le- like, let's say you sign him, just purely hypothetical, eight years at $7 million. You know, maybe that's a little much. Maybe that becomes a problem five years from now. But is that a problem now? No. Is it going to be a problem when McKinnon goes to sign his next extension? Probably a little bit, but if you can sign him for eight years and get less on that deal, that's going to help you too. I mean, you you do want to win a Stanley Cup, ideally every year, but especially ideally in the next two seasons when McKinnon is still making 6.3. McKinnon is eligible for an extension as soon as next offseason, and that deal won't kick in, kick in until 2023.
But while you have McKinnon at 6.3, you need to be doing everything you can to win. And if that means giving your 28-year-old captain a long-term deal, and it's not like Landeskog is is 35. Like, this isn't like a, a David Backus in St. Louis kind of thing. Like, what teams just have their their captain leave in the middle of their cup window while they're in the middle of their prime. You know, and with, with when it comes to the Islanders, I, I always look at the Anders Lee contract with the Islanders as incomparable because it, it is it is very comparable. It's, it's a very similar contract. Seven years, or not contract, players, seven years at $7 million each. I think that's more than fair. For Landeskog. And to be fair to the Avalanche and Landeskog, I don't think we'd be having this conversation right now if there was no pandemic. I mean, it would be unfathomable to me, like in a pre-pandemic world a year and a half ago, that Landeskog would still be unsigned right now because the cap would still be going up at the same time. And Landeskog is, is probably already signed at this point, and it's not even a discussion. But just that that pandemic and the salary cap staying flat throws a wrench into all of your plans. Like there's, there, It's the same for everybody across the league. Who would have thought that Nugent Hopkins was going to be signing a $5 million deal for eight years coming into free agency a few years ago? That, like, that would have been completely like unimaginable all this time ago. But again, going back to the Anders Lee contract, this was signed pre-pandemic in 2019, seven times seven. He signed it in 2019, calculating the age. That was about two years ago. He was 29 years old when he signed that contract, one year older than Landeskog. In now a, a flat cap world for God knows how many seasons, like I said in the Landeskog episode, is seven times seven unfair? I really don't think it is. I really... That's a fair enough deal for both sides that Colorado would probably want to get less money and less term on it and Col- and Landeskog would want more of both. That just seems like a natural compromise, doesn't it? Like, I, w- I want to know what the negotiating stance for both sides is right now. I want to know what Landeskog is asking for. Is he asking for upwards of $9 million dollars? on a max contract deal? Does he think he's going to get that? Is Colorado offering him even $6 million on his next contract? Like, I just want to know what the divide is here because I really don't think that this should be all that big of a thing. I really think this should have gotten done at this point. Like Landis Gog says, I am also disappointed that we have gotten to this point with Gabe Landeskog. I would have rather this have been done eight to ten months ago, and I know we didn't know what the world was going to look like in October, eight months from then, but at the same time, you kicking the can down the road just puts us here, where now we have to maybe consider a possibility that the captain, Gabe Landeskog, is not going to be playing here next year because we just couldn't agree on a contract in time and maybe we want to spend that money elsewhere if he's asking for too much. This is why this should have been done a while ago. And just, again, looking at the wording 
that Peter Bow posted in his Landeskog article today. Landeskog wants long-term security. I mean, who doesn't? Who, Of course he wants long-term security. And I just think this is one of those instances, this is one of those players that you, you just do it. You just sign him. For if it's eight years, you say, okay, but you're going to need to give on the cap hit because we can't be backing ourselves into a corner here. If you want eight years, you're going to have to probably get less than $7 million a year. Like, this, it, you just look around the league. Like, you look at Ryan Nugent Hopkins. He had to give on the cap hit in order to get the long-term eight-year security that he wanted. That's just how the league has to work right now. And it's un- it's unfortunate for Landeskog that his contract expired in the most unprecedented of circumstances like this one. But what can you do at the end of the day? Like, that's just how it's going to have to be with them for right now. And it's what everybody has to deal with at the moment. Every free agent has to deal with this right now, that they're not going to get the money that they were expecting two years ago when they were approaching free agency. If this if this never happened, Landeskog has probably signed an 8 by 8 deal right now. We're not even having this discussion, and we're only talking about, well, it's only going to look better as the cap goes up, and we'll deal with it as as the contract winds down, because we'll be in a completely different world eight years from now. Like, I get wanting to be careful about not backing yourself into a corner eight years from now, but you do need to be maximizing your opportunities to win right now. Eight years, I mean, who, like, do you even remember what the world was like when Landeskog was signed seven years ago? I barely do. Like, that's, that's a problem for another time and a completely different Avalanche team. You know, and even with Minnesota, you know, everyone saw those Parisi and Suter contracts when they were signed then and wondered, man, down the line, that's going to be a mess. And they were completely right. And the resolution for them was to buy both of them out, and now they're going to have to deal with a ton of dead cap space in the future. This year, like we talked about with the Soda Pod guys, they get $10 million in cap relief. But in years like three, four, five of those buyouts, there's going to be $14 million of dead cap. But at the end of the day, they found a solution. It wasn't perfect, but they found a way to work it out. And that's what those completely illegal contracts that you can't even sign anymore you give Landeskog eight years and it doesn't work out towards the end, you can find a way to get it off the books. But that's a problem for another time and not something that you should be jeopardizing your Stanley Cup window for. And if you lose Landeskog, I feel like I've just been dancing around this point forever. If you lose Landeskog, that is going to go over horribly in the room. That is going to be a disaster. Landeskog is the heart and soul of this team. Imagine how that team will feel if they they go through the playoffs last season, they lose to Vegas, they're getting ready for another shot next year, and they have to go into next season without their captain. I mean, Landeskog, you can't replace that. You can make McKinnon the captain if Landeskog leaves. That seems like just the natural progression of things. But McKinnon is not Landeskog. 
and he's he's never going to be. He's a fantastic player, and he's a better player than Landeskog. But when it comes to leadership and leading this hockey team, Landeskog is better suited for that. He's been he's been built for that role ever since he was drafted and named the captain at 19 years old. So if you lose him for nothing, that's going to go over horribly in the room. Like that's it's just not going to work with anyone whatsoever. There, there's no way you can spin that to make it positive. You can bring in all the extra free agents you want with the extra cap space you will have as a result. You cannot fill that void that would be left by Gabe Landeskog. Also, I do want to make it clear that I do believe that this is going to get done. I'm talking like it's a done deal that he's not coming back. I still have faith that this is going to get done. Like I said earlier, I think that this is a bit of a play from Landeskog and his agency to get more out of this negotiation to put some more public pressure on the organization. I think there is a difference here that needs to get worked out. And once that does, I think this is going to get figured out probably not in the next week or so. And we might... One thing that will be figured out is we're going we're gonna to find out if Landeskog is left unprotected, his rights are left unprotected, I am going to sweat profusely because that's bad. That means there might be a gap that is unbridgeable there. And they are expecting to lose him at that point if they're going to let Seattle get in his ear as well. I just, I don't see how that would be anything of good. If they do protect him, then there's likely hope that they still think that they can sign him. So July 17th is going to be very telling for the future of Landeskog. And when it comes to the other free agents on the team. I mentioned it a little earlier. Makar is the priority. There seems to be no stop gaps there. There seems to be no roadblocks as of right now with any of it. Grubauer apparently wants to stay in Colorado and they want to keep him from under for under six. That would be outstanding if they can manage to do that. I if you get Grubauer under six, even if it is a longer term deal, you can live with that. You have your goalie. You have a guy you can walk into next season that your team trusts. You can have all the opinions you want about his playoff performances. But at the end of the day, you've got your guy. Your team has confidence in that guy. And you can figure it out from there. Goaltending is voodoo. At a certain point, the devil you know is just, is not that bad of an idea. And with everyone else, I think it. I think at this point, Saad is a is a hail mary. At this point, if if I'm questioning Landeskog getting signed, I've essentially accepted that Saad is going to leave in free agency, barring a a total miracle. Like I, I just don't see how that works. Honestly, I really don't. And honestly, something I said in the Landeskog preview episode. Uh, a couple episodes ago, is that we all we all heard the comments of Landis Gog will be willing to take less on his next contract during the season. But but what did I say that episode? I said everyone wants to take less until they sit down at the negotiation table. Then things get personal, 
and you want more money. Money gets in the way of everything. It's easy to be a gentleman and it's easy to go in front of the media and be like, yeah, I'm that guy. I'm that captain. I'll take less until you sit down at the negotiating table and talk a new deal and you see what the avalanche think less is on your next contract because Landis Gog's idea of less and the avalanche's idea of less are probably a difference of about maybe two and a half million dollars a year which is not nothing at all so I still think that this is going to get worked out with Landis Gog I really do I think he's going to be on the team next year I mean, if, if we don't sign him, there's a strong possibility that the, the St. Louis Blues might swoop in and sign him there. I mean, the, if Landeskog hits the open market, there are going to be 31 other teams that swoop in and try to get him. Like, even, even Seattle would still try to get him, even if we protect his rights, and, but he still hits the market after that. The Rangers are probably going to be on that. Even bad teams like the Red Wings... We'll probably be on that. I know how much we hate that, but the Hurricanes, I imagine. At Toronto as well, I imagine they would be very in on Landeskog and would move the heavens to try to make that work if they can. You're going to have to figure this out. If Landeskog hits the open market, you're not getting him back. You need to You need to figure this out before then, but I believe that they will. I still believe that this is a tactic from Landis Gog and his camp. More more his camp than anything. Also, I should make one thing clear. Something I made clear last time we talked about Landis Gog. I will never, ever blame a player for trying to get their money. That is their priority. That this is their job. They Unless they want to, they have no obligation to be taking less to help anybody out when their priority is them and their family and getting paid the proper money for their services. I am not mad at Landis Gog whatsoever. If I'm if I'm ever directing anger or frustration at a contract or contract negotiation, know that I am directing that towards their agents, which is their job. That's an agent's job is to take the full brunt of that for their players. So I have no ill will towards Landis Gog in any of this situation whatsoever. If I have any frustrations, it's towards his agency for trying to pull this public media stunt, which you see sometimes. This is not the first time this has ever happened. But this, this is going to be a very interesting two weeks. And th- like this episode might be completely outdated tomorrow. It might come out in The Athletic tomorrow that Landis Gog is done. He doesn't want to see anyone on this team again. He might be signed this time tomorrow. Kale McCarr might have a contract tomorrow. We might we might have made a trade this time tomorrow. And at very least by next episode, we'll have our protection lists to look at and examine and break those down. So we'll have a lot more answers on that. Just It seems like with this offseason so far, just since I posted the last episode, everything can change on a dime. I mean, just look at how much has happened since this episode, last episode went up on Monday. I mean, I even look at just what happens in the last few hours. Like, I was getting ready to record Shea Weber's career is suddenly in danger. And all the other speculation about Makar and Grubauer and more about Landis Gog seems to come out. 
And I, I'm, I'm afraid every time I pick up my phone that there's going to be something that I miss. Like I, I, I almost missed Brendan Carlo signing a deal with the Bruins earlier today and like Teddy Bluger with the Penguins. Like I, there's just so much happening right now. It's it's almost impossible to keep track of. Like and like I said, this episode might be completely outdated in like 30 minutes. It might be outdated by the time this goes up. And just about Landeskog, I think it does get done. Like Landeskog, I am disappointed that it has gotten to this point. I think this should have been done a long time ago. Twenty, I mean, hindsight is always twenty twenty. It's always easier to look back on things, be like, "Well, this should have been done a while ago." It's it's not that easy. So, I think it gets done. I like what I'm hearing about Grubauer and that he wants to stay, and we're trying to get him for under six. I think that would be outstanding if we can. I. I think six is probably what it's going to end up being. And buckle up, everybody. This this is going to be one hell of a two weeks. We're getting protection lists. By the time you're listening to this in two days, we're at the expansion draft in less than a week, I believe. Or it's a, yeah, less than a week. The entry draft, which I have barely given a thought to, is only a few days after that. I, I really need to get cracking on looking into that and what the Avalanche are going to do. So I promise I'll get to that at some point once everything slows down with the offseason, which I it might never, however. But then you're going to have free agency, and you're also going to have every single trade that happens between now and then. Like after the expansion draft is when things are probably going to get a little nuts, and during the expansion draft as well is when things are going to get crazy. And even after free agency, you're going to have more trades coming in. Uh, Man, buckle up, everyone. This is going to be one hell of a ride from start to finish all the way till puck drop next season. Who knows what the Avalanche are going to look like on October 13th when the puck drops. We're we're also probably going to get schedules, I believe, around the time of the, the entry draft as well. I mean, I don't envy who's making the schedules this year with the, that's going to be one hell of a challenge, just like everything else, but I think that about covers it for the the avalanche portion of everything that's happened. I, as much as I would love to go on my rant about the Duncan Keith trade and Pierre Maguire getting hired and just more about everything else that's happened... This episode is already almost an hour long, or it's over an hour long at this point now that I'm looking at it. So as much as I was planning to have my rants on that, more important things came up for the Avalanche with Landis But just know that I think the Duncan Keith trade is ridiculous. Ken Holland got absolutely hosed with all of the leverage. You know what, maybe I'll do a little bit on it. That is one of the worst trades that I have seen in a minute because there is no reason on earth that the Oilers should have been the team to give up assets in that deal. The Blackhawks had one team to trade with with Duncan Keith, and that was Edmonton. Edmonton could have done anything else, anything in the world, and they chose to get Duncan Keith at full salary and give up Caleb Jones and a third round pick with all of the leverage in the deal 
they lost it. And the Blackhawks got assets for Duncan Keith at 38. Fine player. I actually think he'll end up being all right in Edmonton. But, like, this is what they're spending their cap space on. And Ken Holland, immediately defensive of the deal in the following interview. Ugh. See, NHL GMs are just so uncreative. They have no originality. Like, you look you look north. You look at just especially, like, Vancouver and Edmonton. There's no plan there. There's no creativity. There's no cap management there. Like, he... Ken Holland really fancies this to be his Chris Chelios trade. He said that word for word. He fancies this. Well, not he didn't say fancies it, but he thinks this is his Chris Chelios trade. Duncan Keith at 38. He, he said he played top pair minutes for them. And like someone even asked him. It was like, you, basically, you guys had all the leverage in this deal. How do you have to give things up? And his response was so defensive. What, you want me to get him for free? Uh, yeah. A little bit because there was no reason to give up assets in that trade whatsoever. Like it's just so uncreative. Like that's what you're doing with your cap space now. You're gonna immediately eat up five point five on Duncan Keith. Like he's the same player he was when he won the Conn Smythe in twenty fifteen. Like he hasn't had a significant drop off. If you just waited one day, you could have had the discussion about Ryan Suter going to Edmonton. Whether you get him or not is irrelevant. The fact that that option became available to you and you already out of the running because you already made a stupid move is just so crazy. Like, I can't believe that they... I can't believe after what Holland did to the Red Wings that Edmonton saw that after they fired Peter Shirelli and was like, yeah, that's what we're looking for. Bring this guy in. How, like... I'm going on longer than I wanted to about this. I could legitimately go on forever about this. But last point, how are you failing to build a team around Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisha? How are you failing to do it? How do you see the problems that your team has with depth and goaltending and go, Duncan Keith, that's the answer. And also they're in talks with Mike Smith about another extension. And it's just, it just spin your tires over and over again. No creativity, no plan just they're old and experienced so they know what they're doing and well it's yeah we'll figure it all out another time there's no there's just there's nothing you can do like that there's no creativity a lot of these people they still live in the 90s when it comes to hockey like they just live in a pre-salary cap world and it, it blows my mind that ken holland is running an nhl team right now the guy's not good. He hasn't been good in forever. Yeah, he won a Stanley Cup forever ago. Like, I I can't believe it. But that's that's enough of my rants about that. I could go on for much longer, but I've already got this episode running at about an hour and 11 minutes at this point. So that's going to wrap up this episode of the Tell It Abs It Is podcast. If this episode is any indication, we are in for one hell of a ride over the next few weeks or so. But that is going to do it for this edition of the Tell It Abs It Is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Follow me on Twitter at GYoungsNHL and follow the show at Tell It Abs It Is. I have been your host, Griffin Youngs. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I will catch you all next time when we will certainly have a lot of news to get to. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your week.